Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, again, we're going to be talking about the keys to the kingdom. And the kingdom of God and what that looks like and what that doesn't look like. I had a number of conversations after this morning's program about what the uh, kingdom of God looks like and uh, what it doesn't look like. And a lot of people have a lot of delusions about the kingdom of the God, kingdom of God and, and what it's all about. And it's really very simple. You have to love God. Which is a giver of life. So you have to love to give life. You have to love to forgive. You know, because that's the character of God. So you have to love the character of God. The, the, the personality of God. The name of God. I mean, the name of God is not a spelling. The name of God is really a way. It's a personality of God. And and they talk about three persons in God. They call it the Trinity. Although the word never shows up in the Bible, but they do talk about the Holy Spirit, which is an aspect of God. And they talk about the Son of God, which is an aspect of God. And they talk about God himself, God the Father, God the Creator. They talk about the Lord, Yahweh. Uh, that was evidently somehow in the burning column of smoke that was following the Israelites around in Exodus. And of course a lot of people are going to say, oh, that's all fiction, that doesn't mean anything. But what if it is true, but we're misinterpreting what was actually being said? And of course we've gone through the whole of Exodus. And, you know, a lot, for a long time, and still there's a, there's still a lot of, uh, Archaeologists who think that, you know, Moses never existed. But evidence is coming out now that they don't know when uh, the pharaohs of Moses existed. They've got their timeline mixed up. And then when you adjust that timeline, and there's a lot of reasons to adjust that timeline, but, you know, old dogs, new tricks, they don't necessarily want to do it. But, the point is, is that if you, if they're right in their research, their more recent research, then the timeline has changed, and where Moses was has changed, and then a lot of the other archaeological things that we're finding out begin to fit. There's still some things that people say don't fit, but some of those things they say don't fit, I mean, like Jericho evidently was destroyed, walls fell down, there was fire, all those things. But the time frame seemed to be off. But our time frame for Moses was off. Because people interpreted something in the Bible that put Moses at a particular time. And they may have been wrong. And it appears they were wrong. We went over all that in our study of Exodus. And all those audios are up. And we're going to go through some more here on Exodus. And look at how other people are misinterpreting it. This morning we were in Ecclesiastes 5. And we did two hours on Ecclesiastes 5, which is pretty amazing since there's only like 20 verses in it. We did get in a little bit into Ecclesiastes 
six, but we didn't go very far. And we may go farther in that. But what we were talking about in Ecclesiastes 5, we we did a review of the first four chapters. And then in chapter 5, they talk about the sacrifice of fools. Now, you can go through a lot of commentaries on the Bible, and they have a lot of opinions as to what the sacrifice of fools are. But the sacrifice of fools really should be self-evident. I mean, Saul, we mentioned Saul did a foolish thing. He forced a sacrifice. And, of course, the sacrifice of fools is the forced sacrifice of fools, where somebody who's exercising authority, a government who exercises authority one over the other, is forcing the people to contribute to a social welfare scheme that takes care of the needy of society. That's sacrifice of fools. And usually you end up under such authority because of the rash actions of your mouth. In other words, you said, yes, I will, before you looked it up. And, of course, we see Peter doing the same thing. Peter's asked, does your master pay the tax? And he says, yes. And Jesus takes him aside and, and basically says, Peter, you spoke rashly. Who owes the tax? Who doesn't owe the tax? What are you talking about? And And... Ecclesiastes 5 talks about a vow, not no vow. Well, of course, Jesus talks about not taking any oaths. Swear not. Not at all. Above all else, stop the taking of oaths. And, of course, the Ten Commandments tells you that you're not to bow down and serve other gods. And why would you do that? Because you took an oath to serve other gods and serve other gods, worship other gods. Worshiping has to mean supporting giving other gods gifts. And you're not to do that. To give those other gods gifts and, and, and worship them and, and bow down to them and serve them. You're not to do that. Well, who are those gods? Well, it's like the turtle dove goddess of Sumar, uh, Sumer or Ishar. These are all pagan gods, they say. But what makes them pagan? They have systems of social welfare. They have a religion. They take care of the needy of their society. They just don't do it with free will offerings. And free will offerings were required by Moses. They were required by law in the the altar of Jehovah Nisi. They had to be free will offerings. They all had to be free will offerings. Voluntary. From the heart. And, and that was essential. Now why are you making these offerings? To burn them up? No, because you love your neighbor. The offerings are for taking care of your neighbor and the needy of society. You know, the widows and orphans and needy of society. That's pure religion. How you visit or take care of them. So those are the two things. Love God, who's a giver of life, a forgiver of sins, a granter of authority. So you have to be that way with everybody around about you. And then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. That's that's the keys to the kingdom right there. Now, some people realize, hey, we've gone back into the bondage of Egypt and we've got these, we've made covenants where we didn't think we made covenants. And of course, I wrote a whole book. It's free online, Covenants of the Gods. And I took it to the top lawyers in the United States. I took it to summa cum laude lawyers who wrote law books. I took it to guys here in front of the Supreme Court time and time again. They said I was right. 
they also, you know, at least one of them said they're not going to like you. One of them knew they were not going to like me so much that he was worried about being bugged when he told me what we ought to do. Because <laughs> they were afraid. Just back in 911 days. But I'm sharing all this with you for free. But it does cost you something. It costs you your delusion. Yet some people still want to cling to their delusions. They actually think that they are in the kingdom because they got rid of all the paperwork that brought them into bondage. You know, paperwork, you know. All the, you know, Social Security, that's that's a number that identifies that you're applying for the benefits of a government that does exercise authority and force the contributions of the people. Such a numbering system existed at the time of Jesus Christ, set up by Herod and the Pharisees. It was called the Corbin, which means sacrifice. The Corbin of the Pharisees is the sacrifice of fools. Because they think it's going to benefit them. But it actually is vanity. It's empty. And they think it's going to benefit them anyway. But it actually will not. It de- delivers them into the bondage. It delivers their children into bondage. We explain this. I've thought about creating a page called Sacrifice of Fools. But the Corbin page is the Sacrifice of Fools. I'll probably write something on the Corbin page about the fact that the Corbin of... Herod and the Pharisees was the sacrifice of fools spoken of in Ecclesiastes 5.1. And then people can come here and eventually we'll have these audios on there and they can, they can figure out what I'm talking about. But, so, the, what does the sacrifice of fools mean is the Corbin of the Pharisees. I'll put that in, and then people can go to the Corbin link. They won't need a separate link for that. I didn't shut off my phone. I'm getting messages. <laughs> uh, somebody somebody had written, and his name is Glenn Newman. I guess they call it the Ecclesia. He says, we misuse words in church all the time. A man who calls himself a shepherd and a servant that you can't even get an appointment with. And I wrote back to him, I says, you don't need an appointment to get a hold of me. <laughs> and I'm a shepherd. Of course, uh, my Facebook page, it shows me with a bunch of sheep in the background and a sheep cook in my hand because I am one of those shepherds too. But there's all kinds of people in our network, hundreds of people. But... Not all of them are sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And that's unfortunate. Mostly for them. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm telling you how the kingdom of God works. But some people actually think that the kingdom of God is just getting out of the system of the world. And they devise all kinds of plans on how to get out of the systems of the world. None of them look like what what Moses did. None of them looked like what Jesus did. Because the the people who followed Jesus were no longer a part of the world. They were in the world, but they were not of the world. But what Jesus was doing was taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. And he established a number of ministers to do this. And they organized themselves in a way that they knew where everybody was. You think the seven 
that uh, they picked, what do you think they were doing? The apostles were well read. They they knew the scriptures. And even though there is a place in the Bible where it says that they were idiotes. And people translated as unlearned. They weren't learned men. That's not true. That's simply not true. They were learned men. Most of them were extremely learned men. But idiotus means they weren't registered. They weren't, they weren't signed up for the Corbin of Herod. That's why people had to come and ask, are you signed up? Do you, do you pay the tax? And, uh, and Peter misspoke. I don't think, uh, I'm not sure what tax they were talking about the temple tax. And there was a tax that wasn't a part of the Corbin. It was like a half shekel, and they paid that. Uh, and everybody paid that. And if you couldn't afford it, somebody would probably pay it for you if you were in the kingdom. But they bore witness to one another. And that's that's a principle that goes way back in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that where two or more witnesses are. So that witness... You know, we see them writing letters and say, this is my brother Timothy. That's that's paperwork. Saying, this is my brother Timothy. He's, he's one of us. So that's a, it's a letter of credence. So that where he went, they would say, oh, well, this is from Paul. I know it's from Paul because I've seen Paul's handwriting. And he says, this is Timothy. And so we know. It's a matter of record. And, of course, the breaches of the ministers... If you look up our article on breaches, it's just a matter of record. Establishing who's your minister. It wasn't about making underwear like some people think, but then leaven's not about yeast. The leaven of the Pharisees has nothing to do with yeast. We explain all that. And you just have to go and listen to the programs and be diligent in your studies to find out what we're talking about. But if you really want to know what we're talking about, you have to be diligent in doing the Word of God. And doing the word of God doesn't have anything to do with getting rid of your paperwork in the world. Israel, Moses didn't come in and say, okay, you guys, rescind your contracts. Okay, you guys, don't be the fiction anymore. No, he said, pay your tally of bricks. Jesus said the same thing. If you owe the tax, pay the tax. That was Jesus' plan. I don't know what some of these other people are doing. We've had people come on the women's call. And they're saying all kinds of stuff that just ain't so. It's just not true. And they don't seem to be doing what Christ actually required, which was sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So anyway, we did five this morning. And this will be, we'll try to do six today. I got three hours to do six, but I got less hours now. But... You know, according to some, it was the sacrifice of fools is religious rituals of worship that was cold, formal, boring worship by people who didn't care. That is true if we properly define the word worship and care. Or maybe I should say, is that true if we properly define the word worship and care? Matthew twenty two seventeen to twenty one, Mark twelve, fourteen to seventeen, and Luke twenty to twenty twenty two to twenty six, where Jesus explains 
to the people, is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why tempt ye me? Show me the penny. Whose picture is on it? Who owns it? So that's what those quotes were about, where he's saying to pay the tax. I think I'll add another link in there so that it's easier to see while you're on the page. But uh, the, there's a multitude of dreams or divers vanities out there that think they're in the kingdom and they're not. So on the page concerning Ecclesiastes 5, I have a link to the gurus where I have gone through guy after guy after guy that tells you how to get out of the system. Most of the people I've seen that do that, we have uncovered fraud after fraud. They lie to the people about what they're doing. They get people all worked up. They get them to do things where they end up absolutely broke and starving. They lose everything. You don't want that. Don't follow those guys. They're giving you false information. They're not showing you the way at all. And so there's a link there to guru theories under verse 7 uh, on the side panel. And you can go find that. And there's a few other things there in the side panel, but I'll let you, you know, they labor for the wind. They grasp at the wind and they eat in darkness and they can't see the way of the kingdom. If you haven't or aren't working to create a social safety net based on faith, hope, and charity, if you are not giving and forgiving like God did to us, then you're probably not in the kingdom. And you may be just a foolish virgin, and you may not even be that much of a virgin. But anyway, if the people who are saying that on the women's call want to call me, they can call me in the second half of the show. We're going to play a little commercial while I try to respond to somebody. (laughs) We talk a lot about the kingdom here, and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same, and we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints, but they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And join us on Facebook, facebook.com, his holy church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the Word. So, welcome back. I I sent him a message that he could call me. If you're listening to us on the radio and you want to call in, uh, we'll be taking calls here in a little bit. Uh, The number is 319-527-1111. 
619-527-6208. If you want to raise your hand, push 1. Uh, but we're going to try to get to Ecclesiastes 6. It's not very long, but then we'll devote the rest of the time to explaining how the kingdom works and why it's important to be in a network. So anyway, this, we started this morning on Ecclesiastes 6 just at the end of the program, but real basically there is an evil, and this evil is common amongst men. That's basically the first verse. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. Now, if you read this in the Hebrew, it's a little clearer, but... This is the translation that they came up with. They struggled with this. They, Everybody always struggles with Ecclesiastes. But a stranger eat what he produces. Why is that? God, and, and which God is it? Like I said this morning, small G God, big G God, what is it? But it's an evil disease where somebody else is eating the fruits of your labor and you don't get to choose to do it. Now, of course, in the kingdom of God, there's redistribution of wealth all the time. It's called charity. You produce something, then you get to share. If a man has no coat, you have an extra coat. You can give him. You can do the same in meats. That's what John the Baptist was saying. That's what the early church was doing. It was doing the Jehovah Nisi's thing that Moses was doing, where he was creating altars to take care of the needy of society that were only funded by free will offerings. If you do it by forced offerings then you're going to end up with the evil disease. You're going to end up not owning anything. You're going to end up living in darkness. And of course that's, it will not fill your soul. If you're, if you're the guy that's eating somebody else's labor, taking a bite out of them, and Ecclesiastes talks about that, where a man will eat his own arm. Of course the New Testament tells us, be careful you don't bite one another lest you be devoured. Uh, Proverbs tells us the same kind of thing that, you know, or, or you can go to the the quotes of, you know, let's build us a city and the city will be a cauldron and we will be the flesh. And so this is a thing that just keeps reappearing over and over again where the people have one purse, as in Proverbs 1.10, and they consent to have one purse for gain so that they'll have benefits. But they run towards evil. They run towards death. They, it's a, Their table is a snare. What should have been for their welfare is a snare and a trap. And of course, they say the same thing in Ecclesiastes. They talk about a woman who the spirit of that woman is a snare and a trap. And that's what they're talking about. And that's where a stranger eats what you produce. And you don't have any choice over it. That's the Corbin of the Pharisees. So, a soul be not filled with good because they're not doing good. Because in the previous chapter he talked about men who get wealth just for themselves. They're selfish with it. This is where it leads to. It leads to this evil disease where a stranger is going to eat what you produce. So, now we're down in uh, verse 4. There's not too many verses. There's only 12, so we'll get through it rather quickly and then we'll probably go to taking calls. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness. Vanity. Nothing. 
Remember, the word vanity there means empty, nothing. He cometh with nothing. That's why we come into this world. And if you share nothing, because how do you get life more abundant as you lay down your life? So if he's not sharing, he's going to depart in darkness. And his name shall be covered with darkness. His name, his identity, his, his, his imagining, his dreams, which they talked about in the previous chapter. They, they will be dark. He won't understand what's going on. He'll look around in the world and he'll say, well, why is the world going so crazy? Why is the world so bizarre? Because he lives in darkness. He walks in darkness. Because he doesn't walk in love. He doesn't walk in forgiveness. He's not casting his bread upon the waters to take care of people in hopes that it might come to him after many days. He wants entitlements, but he doesn't want to live by hope. And so he goes back into the bondage of Egypt. He's again entangled in the yoke of bondage, which the New Testament warns us about. And we, and he does it through covetous practices, because he ends up either being covetous of the riches that God gave him and being selfish, or he's covetous of the riches that God gave his neighbor. And he wants somebody to take them away from him so that he can have more stuff. And he consents to that system, like I say in Proverbs 1, verse 10, don't consent, but he consents to it to get the, what the New Testament calls the wages of unrighteousness. So in verse 5, Moreover, he hath not seen the Son, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Now we talked about why, why he keeps mentioning under the sun, seeing the sun, and, and how it's a little bit like Jerusalem. He's using it where there's a physical sun, but we don't see the spiritual sun of life, the light of God coming down. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice fold, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place. So you actually have to have the heart of God, the heart of Christ. To do good. Just doing nice things to people now and then. You may not have done them for the right reason. And intent is what is essential. So you need that spiritual desire to do good for others. That only comes if Christ is and the Holy Spirit is writing upon your heart and your mind. But he's not going to write upon your heart and your mind if you're all caught up with the world. And the flesh and, and the systems of the world and the false churches of the world and the false, uh, guru theories of the world. You're not going to do those simple things that we talked about at the beginning of the program. Verse seven. All the labor of man is for his mouth and yet the appetite is not filled. Now he's talking about this person who was selfish with what God gave him. You know, and, and may have been rash with his mouth, which we talked about in the morning show. And all these shows will be on the website eventually. But this appetite is not filled because it's vanity. And vanity is the word for emptiness. And like I say, emptiness plus emptiness is still emptiness. Which is why vanities of vanities is vanity. It's still empty. That's what he's saying at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. But why is it empty? Because God is not in it. The Spirit of God is not in it. 
the Spirit of God is not in your church, then it's not in your church. And it's not in your gathering. So how do you know if it's the Spirit of God that's in your gathering or not in your gathering? How can you tell? Do you, do you memorize everything in the Bible and make sure everything is in the place? Well, no, it's, it's really simple. And there's nothing wrong with memorizing what's in the Bible. But you need to understand and just memorize. So verse 8, For what hath the wise more than the fool? Because no, they were just talking about the sacrifice of the fool, so that's the fool they're talking about. So, what is the sacrifice of the wise? Ah, it's because there's a question mark there. They put a question mark in their translation. What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Before the living. Remember Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord? which is actually the mighty provider instead of the Lord. Nimrod was the mighty provider instead of. So that word for, before, the living, the poor. But anyway, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. We'll see more when we get into chapter 12 and stuff like that because it starts to come together. Because they use strange, interesting symbols in here. Which makes it a little bit more complicated. But the key thing is that there are ways that we can go in this life and in this world that are empty, vanity of vanities, and there are ways that bring us up, which is what they were talking about back there, I think, in chapter 4. What way leads us up? And what way leads us to dust? Which actually is chapter 3. So, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This is also vanity and vexation of the spirit. That which hath been is named already and it is known that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Let's just read on to 11 and it'll start coming together hopefully. Seeing there be many things that increase vanity. So how do you increase emptiness? You become hollowed out. You become less and less. You burn up your oil. When you, when your, your oil lamps are empty, you have increased vanity. The foolish virgins who were not a part of the Parthenos, not a part of the Corbin of the Pharisees, not a part of the systems of the free bread of Rome, they were virgins. They were they they had not made a deal with those systems that were covetous systems at that time. They weren't always covetous, but at that time they were. We've explained that. But their oil was empty. They ran out of oil because there are many things that can increase emptiness, vanity, pride in your knowledge. I have the knowledge of how to be in the kingdom of God. Maybe don't. And there's easy checklist. And we have a checklist you can look at. What is man the better if he is increasing emptiness by the way that he is following? Because basically it's not the way of Christ. So here we are to the last verse of Ecclesiastes 6. Ecclesiastes 6. For who knoweth what is good for a man in his life. 
all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? So that's, there's at least two, three questions there in a row. What, obviously, being emptier, being more full of vanities, is not better. It's worse. So, knoweth what is good for a man in his life. Who knows that? All the days of his vain life, that's emptiness. But who knows, because that's spent in darkness. Well, Christ said, if you want life more abundant, you have to have love for your neighbor where you lay down your life for your neighbor. And that's not a problem. I don't, it's not like you do it and then God has to save you. If Christ is in you, you want to do it. You want to take the time for your neighbor. You want him to see the truth. You want him to know the way of righteousness. If you read Matthew Henry's concise commentary, it says, A man often has all he needs for outward enjoyment, yet the Lord leaves him so to covetousness or evil dispositions that he makes no good or comfortable use of what he has. By one means or the other, his possessions come to strangers. And that's, I just explained those two means. You're, you, you produce wealth, you know, may not be a lot of wealth. I mean, a poor man today is wealthier than a, a lot of wealthy men in the old days. He has a lot more things at his disposal. But he doesn't do anything with the wealth he gets. And, and Jesus has old parables about the guy who, you know, they're, they're given these denarii. And one goes out and makes two denarii and one goes out and, you know, makes three denarii or I guess the, in reverse order. But then the other guy goes and buries it, does nothing with it. And the master's upset with you. This is what he's talking about. That you're given wealth, you need to do something to value with it. You need to strengthen the poor. You need to, to bless other people with it. Because it's the nature of God to bless and and if you're not doing that, that's evidence to you that you have need of repentance. And so you, you need to repent. So this common evil is the covetous practices that are empty to righteousness. They are the idolatry, because idolatry is covetousness. That's what Paul says. Those who are greedy for gain who consent to one purse, which we're not to do. You know, let's all have one purse. That That's going to lead you into bondage. That That's, according to Christ, that's what's going to lead you into bondage. So, you end up in darkness because you can't see the truth. And that's what we started talking about at the beginning of the show this morning. We did two hours this morning. And we started out with the fact that there's this trauma of realizing that you're not following the way of God and that's a bit of a trauma or you've done something wrong or somebody's done something wrong to you and it's a trauma but you don't want to you're willing to see the part of other people in your trauma but you're not willing to see the your part and what will happen is that your eyes will be darkened and you will think that you're in the kingdom and you're not that you're actually under a strong delusion 
Because you don't want to see the whole truth and provide for it. You know, I, I created a page recently, Brent Woods Agreement. And I had another page, uh, Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke talks about little platoons. And uh, they don't want you to know about little platoons. But the little platoons are basically the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But those are new pages I've added. And I added a new link to uh, uh, numerous scientists page. And uh, it's under Peter McCullough. And it's a 55-minute video you can listen to that kind of sums up all the stuff that's gone on with COVID and the bad things that are taking place. And that's important because, above all else, I want you to be healthy and prosper. Isn't that what John said or something to that, depending on which translation you look at? So anyway, I sent out a, a, a newsletter to the the whole network. And it was in response to conversations that I was having with other people and they were having with other people in the network. See, if you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, we all know who each other are, either directly or indirectly, through that network. And that was very important in the early church to do that. So I I asked the question, why the network? And I've had guys who think they know the Bible. It says there's nothing in the Bible about a network. But of course... Absolutely, there is something about a network. Tens, hundreds, and thousands is a network. And that's how Israel formed. That's how Abraham did it with his altars of clay and stone. And because they did that, they created the social bonds necessary so that when there was an invading army coming into their nation, they were able to come together. And they actually defeated that army in a single night. But... In the case of Egypt, they didn't have to fight that army. So there's a number of different ways that it can go. But what was key is that they, the network brought them across the Red Sea to the other side. And when the enemy tried to cross over to the Red Sea, they couldn't make it. But these people who are going out and they're just doing this lone thing where I'm just going to separate from the world and I'm going to get rid of the fiction and all that stuff. Uh, I have not seen that ever used in a practical way. I've seen little minor wins here and there, but I've seen an awful lot of people go down, bite the dust, their families are destroyed. The people who do that often become a burden on everybody else. They become dependent on everybody else. But Jesus was taking the kingdom away from the Pharisees because of the Corbin of the Pharisees. Because the Corbin of the Pharisees was not bearing fruit. And of course, legal charity never bears fruit. Except for the fruit of degeneration. So, you're absolutely right in wanting to get away from the systems of legal charity. But Christ and Moses still said you had to pay the tally breaks, you had to pay Caesar. Now, there is a way that you can become totally separate, but you have to meet all the criteria of Christ. And if that's your goal, I don't even want to tell you how to do it. Your goal has to be to love your neighbor as yourself. Your goal has to be like Christ. To allow God to write his laws in your heart and your mind. That has to be your goal. Not get out of some system. Or get out of something. 
Because the way they got out of Egypt is they began to help one another and take care of one another. They heard the cries of one another. The way you get into Egypt is you don't hear the cries of others. And of course, if you put your hands over your ears and don't listen to the gospel of Christ concerning the network of tens, hundreds, and thousands of these gatherings of these small home church congregations together, network together all across the country and all around the world. If you don't want to hear that, if you, if you want to put your hands over your ears and hear that and hum, your chance in trilogies, you can do that. But you will remain in darkness. You will remain a foolish virgin. So don't do that. And so I'm talking to some people out there that are probably catching some of the things that maybe some of you are not catching. But anyway, I wrote this to them. We all have been endowed By the law of nature, and nature's God, because we're endowed by God, but through the law of nature. And and if you read our article, there's a link there to our article on law of nature. Law of nature has been defined over and over again as divine will. That's what the law of nature is. It's the will of God. It's defined as the will of God, divine will. It's the unmoved mover. That's the way Aristotle defined it. You know, they, Aristotle was struggling to figure out what it was, but the reality is the law of nature is what God has put into motion. And, and that's why in the Declaration of Independence it refers to the law of nature and nature's God. We've all been endowed with some authority over what we choose to do or who we choose to follow or not follow. And we should not seek to exercise authority over others, nor should we seek to limit the right of others to choose. We should give them a right to choose. Now, obviously, when we're talking about our small children, they don't get to choose everything. You know, they say, well, I think I'm a girl and I want to be changed. Well, no, you don't get to make that choice. (laughs) That would seem a no-brainer, but people evidently... They they make they let their kids choose what they want to eat. Well, they don't want to eat that. They only want to eat this. Well, that's you're not a parent in your child's life if you're doing that kind of nonsense. You're supposed to be spare the rod and spoil the child. Now that doesn't have anything to do with beating your child. Read our article on the rod. Um, no, it doesn't have any because it's a shepherd terminology. And, and the rod is what you use to guide the sheep. I just moved some cows today between the morning program and the afternoon program. Rounded up six head of cows. And there were two old cows, two young calves, and two heifers. The heifers are a little spunky. I took them out of one field, put them in another field, took them out of another field, put them in another field, and, and put them in a corral, separated the heifers out, loaded them in a horse trailer, then took the cows and the two calves and moved them across outside the fence, over to another field. (laughs) And they went in. And I had a stick. I'm not beating them with a stick. I just raise the stick and say, go that way, go that way, go that way. And they go that way. That's the rod. You're showing the the kid which way. You you don't want to go that way. Yeah, that's poison ivy over there. That's quicksand over there. That that's a, that's a dangerous place over there. Don't go that way. That's your job. You're a parent, 
And a minister's job should be that, but he doesn't exercise authority. He's just supposed to be a man of strength and experience. And he's proven himself. If you if you see him not doing what Christ said and not teaching what Christ said, he shouldn't be your minister. Go away from him. There's a lot of people out there saying they're ministers and they're not very good at it. So how are you going to know? Well, you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When I took those cows out of one field that didn't have any grass, or it had some, but it was getting sparse pickings. I took them over to another field. I had lots of grass and clover. Boy, they were chomping down on that, but I didn't want them in that field. But we were going through that field to get to another field. So then I moved them up to a gate, and then somebody went down that gate, and then they all started, because they want to stay together. They're all buddy buddies. And so eventually, when we finally moved them out into the road, where there's gravel and some weeds on the side of the road, they like, this isn't so good. This, I don't... I, I don't want to eat this stuff. Where where do I need to go? And I, I point with a stick. You want to go that way? And they look over and they see, okay, I'll, I'll go that way. And they went over that way. But they get to choose. I mean, it's a 1,500-pound cow. I'm not going to make it. You know, I can go hit it with my stick. I could get gored. I've been gored. <laughs> Actually, I didn't get gored, but I got stomped. But anyway, that was another story many of you are familiar with. We should not seek to exercise authority over others, nor should we seek to limit that right of others to choose. Well, I was limiting the right of the cows to choose, but the cows, I'm a herdsman. But people, I can point, you don't want to do that, you don't want to do this, you really ought to be doing that, but you have to choose because it has to be a free assembly says over and over again in the Old Testament. It means the same thing in the New Testament. We go through the different words. A congregation is a free assembly. It's not a corporate body. You want to be a part of the body of Christ, but I don't let you into the body of Christ. Christ lets you in. Holy Spirit lets you in. I show you some things. If you're doing that, you're probably not going to get in. You can walk with us until you decide to do what is right. But as we turn up the light, those who hate the light won't stick around. The only guide we should seek in the quest for righteousness of the kingdom is the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of counterfeits out there. So how do you know? When it's the real Holy Spirit. Well, there's a link there to an article on the Holy Spirit. We're at preparingyou.com. For anybody who doesn't know, we're at a page called Why the Network. A network is capitalized. You go up to the search engine, type that in. You'll know where I'm at. Man has been willing to covet power over his neighbor to obtain what he has been has been called the wages of unrighteousness. Going back, check to see if any calls come in. Oh, we got a hand up. Okay, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll answer that call in just a minute. Uh, it's number five five one eight. So I'll answer that call in just a minute. But let me get a little bit farther here, so we got a good place to stop. So, man has been willing to covet power over his neighbor. 
to obtain what has been called the wages of unrighteousness. Linked to an article on wages of unrighteousness, which are also the rewards of unrighteousness. Same words in the Greek, but they translate it different for some reason. And as a result, much of mankind has lost access to many of those endowed rights by the creation of obligations and duties to the benefactors of the world and the conscripted fathers of the world, which we have links so you can go find out what the benefactors and conscripted fathers. Because Jesus said, call no man on earth father, but my father in heaven. So that wasn't just idle words by Jesus. So you want to know what and why Jesus said that. And those articles will tell you. Thanks for the call. So, do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, I, I, you know, I I am a woman. I was on the women's call. And I I have a feeling the women are not going to be calling in. Um, But I thought I would maybe call in and represent their concerns. Okay. um, Just so you can be aware of, you know, what was going on on the call. So, I'll just kind of list the three major concerns and then you can address them. So one, one topic was that, that kind of goes not, you know, in the, in the same realm of what you're talking about, but is that if you know who you are, you are in the kingdom of God. That's all you have to do to be in the kingdom of God is know who you are and know that you are not the person. Okay, you know, of course, that that statement could be true, but that statement could be an absolute delusion. Because Judas Iscariot thought he knew who he was. Judas Iscariot thought he was doing the right thing. But he wasn't. what, What somebody who says that, they think they can save themselves by what they think. You can't save yourself by what you think. We're saved by Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, which all all those are the same thing. We're not saved by what we think. So the idea that you... Right. Th- because they think that they're saved because I assume, and I, and I know we don't have them online, they can come online and we can have this discussion because I can ask them questions. That you may not be able to answer yeah, for I them. Haven't, I, I, I really have encouraged them to question you. You know, right? And that's um, why I'm on in the afternoon so that people can come um, on. And, and I figured out finally how to get your sound turned up so your sound's real good. It looks like. <laughs> so, <laughs> so every time we do this, maybe we'll get better at it. The the issue with this woman is that her life has shown her that she is protected by God and that God has saved her in every situation that she's been in. So the fruit of her life shows her that these words that she's saying are correct. Uh, The fruit of her life. Well, see, now we're sitting back here. I have no evidence of the fruit of her life. I know a lot of people have lived a long time. And and Mm -hmm. there's a guy here locally, and you've heard me talking about it. I won't mention his name. I have seen that guy go through situations that would have killed anybody else. Uh, and he survives it. I mean, car accidents, uh, 
things he does that should have been car accidents, <laughs> uh, things that uh, he does that would have killed anybody else. Anybody else does this, it would have been an absolute disaster. He just, he goes to the flames and they don't seem to touch him. But he's a crazy guy. And, and he's a dangerous guy. And he's injured a lot of people. But he is protected. So, just because you're protected doesn't mean anything. I mean, was Christ protected? Christ was crucified. How'd that work out? Yeah, he rose again from the dead, but no, that's not evidence to me. I don't look to see if somebody's been, you know, I mean, Bill Gates is a millionaire. Uh, does that mean he's in the kingdom? Things are going right for him. He's got everything he wants. I mean, that's what we just talked about. And so, and we're also dependent upon her testimony. Now, that's why mm-hmm. it would be good if she calls in, then I can ask her specific questions. It doesn't mean I'm going to get the truth. Mm-hmm. I might get the truth. But mm-hmm. self-testimony is not what the Bible calls for. It calls for two witnesses. It doesn't call mm-hmm. for you saving yourself by what you think. So, so far, that's two strikes. That she isn't showing me any sign. Now, it may be true that she's in the kingdom. I don't know. But what what you're able to tell me doesn't tell me that. So go, go ahead with other things. You must have a list there. Uh, the other, okay, the other, one of the other concerns was that uh, some people are being hurt by some of your, um, te- you know, testimonies in terms of not taking the benefits. She gave an example of a woman that she was trying to help that, really believed and, you know, didn't want to take any sort of benefits, but was really suffering because she wasn't taking the benefits. And, you know, my, what I explained to her was that you never tell anybody not to take the benefits. You just tell people the truth of what it means to take the benefits. And if this woman chooses not to, um, that's not because you told her not to. Right. But, that was another. So how is that hurting her? Well, because she's a single mom and she doesn't have help, and she, I, you don't, I don't, you know, she's not connected, obviously, to something. And um, now this sounds like false testimony on her part that she's suggesting that I tell people not to take the benefits from government, but I don't. So, so let me ask you this: Is she saying? We should all seek to take the benefits from government, you know, like the welfare and the... Is she doing well, that? Well, another thing we talked about is... Another thing we talked about is that if it's... If money, if it's fiat currency and it's not real, then you can't be taking it by force from your neighbor because it doesn't exist. It, it's a piece of paper. Fiat money is a piece of paper. It's, a, it's It doesn't have value because it's not promised to pay, but it has value in the... You know, I've I've gone through this with so many people. Federal Reserve notes were paper to begin with, but they were redeemable in lawful currency. That's just the history of Federal Reserve notes. You could take them down to a bank, hand the bank a $20 bill, and get a $20 gold piece for a $20 paper bill. You could do that because it was redeemable. It, and it's just a note. 
I can make out a note that says, you know, go to my house and, uh, you know, ask Nitsan for a lamb that weighs 100 pounds. And uh, and this note is to say that Nitsan should give you a 100-pound lamb. And you could take that over and you show it to Nitsan. He sees my handwriting and he says, okay, well, I can get you a 100-pound lamb over here and I'll give it to you. It's a note. That's all it is. You could say it's fiat currency, but it's just a note. It's not fiat if I've got a lamb to give you. Okay, when they stop redeeming those notes for gold and silver, they only stopped it for citizens of the United States. They stopped redeeming them. I can tell you the date. June 5th, uh, 1933. They... U.S. citizens could no longer redeem Federal Reserve notes for gold. Uh, and they weren't going to allow you to redeem them. They were still redeemable, just not for U.S. citizens. So are they fiat or not fiat? Well, they were, they were not fiat. Because in 1970s, or let's see, 1963, the Sheikh of Saudi Arabia could come over to San Francisco and redeem paper dollar bill, twenty dollar bills for an ounce of silver. Uh, out, excuse me, an ounce of gold. He could redeem an ounce of gold. He would get if he gave. Actually, he had to pay twenty dollars and seventy six cents to be accurate, because if he wanted a coin. If he wanted it in bullion, he wouldn't have as he wouldn't have to do as much seventy the seventy six cents decrease. But if he wanted an actual gold ounce coin, he would have to pay seventy six cents. It was just the way that the Federal Reserve did it. So he could. It wasn't fiat then in nineteen sixty three, and and then comes nineteen with Public Law nine five dash one four seven. I, I assume this woman knows all this. <laughs> she, 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 she's so smart. I don't no, think she does know all this. She has studied. She has, uh, I don't know. She, she said she has studied law and the Federal Reserve. Yeah, well, that's great. I just listen to what God shows me and all this stuff that needs to stick, sticks. All the stuff that doesn't need to stick, doesn't stick. I'm just going off of what God is putting in my head when I'm speaking to you. But... The reality is, is that they they said that they were going to renege and go off the gold standard. They had already taken the money off the silver standard, and of course, the United States government with uh, John Kennedy, Jack Kennedy, we call him. He was going to create uh, U.S. notes with red ink on them, green and red ink. And those would be redeemable in silver again. And he started doing it and somebody shot him. <laughs> and they stopped doing it the very next day. But anyway, so yeah, all this is going on. But fiat notes are not nothing. They're just not gold and silver. If you Now this is where she, she needs to understand. And I'm saying this on this recording so she can go play it back when we put it up. If I go and buy a tractor and I want to borrow money from a bank, a bank doesn't really loan me anything but credit union units. 
they they give me a note that says that the 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 appearance of fifty thousand dollars in entries will show up in your bank account, and you can now write a check for fifty thousand dollars and give it to the tractor dealership. And you gave it to the tractor dealership, and that tractor dealership gave you a tractor. Now, the only thing of real substance in this transaction is the tractor. Somebody mined that steel, made that tractor, produced and put it all together, and now I got the tractor. And I got the tractor because I I gave, but I didn't give gold and silver. So I only have legal title to the tractor, but I get to drive it around. I get to use it. I get to plow my fields with it. Now, all of a sudden, I say I don't want to pay because they, they, these are Federal Reserve notes and it's all fictions and I'm not a fiction and everything. I have to give the tractor back. I can't keep the tractor. It's the same if you have a house and you buy a house and the people are going around saying, well, and, and occasionally people are going to be evicted because they're in a house and they're not paying the, the mortgage. With Federal Reserve notes. So you got a mortgage and, and you, they can come and try to evict you. And if you know your stuff and you decided the law, you could actually go and say, well, where's the original paper? Where's the original loan? I want to see the original loan. You have to bring in the original contract. And most banks can't do that. They've lost track of it. They've, they've, in a fractional reserve, they've loaned that out. In order to get more funds so they can loan out more money that they don't actually have. And the banking system is iniquitous. Even Josiah Stamp says that the banking system, and he was one of the richest men in the world and one of the heads of the Bank of England. He says it's iniquitous and it is created by Satan. And he says you take away that power of them to create currency and to loan money and uh, everything will go away. But you give it back to them and all this, they'll end up owning the whole world again. And of course, this is part of prophecy. This is what the merchants of the earth are and revelations and everything. They're getting to that. But the solution isn't to stop paying your, I mean, you can actually win in court if you know these things. So that the court will not evict you and take the house away. You haven't paid for it with what you agreed to pay for, which is these credit entries. You're not paying any interest on it, but you're still just living in the house. Now, I don't know if that's what she's doing, but I know people who have done that. And you can do that. Yeah, but, yeah. She, but she, she has done that and helped other people. Right. But she's that. not helping people get into the kingdom. She's helping people defraud the bankers. She's defrauding the bankers. Now, she she might say, well, the bankers are fraud. They committed the fraud first. But that isn't that isn't the way it works in the kingdom. Nobody's going to defraud. She's not paying her tally of bricks. She's not even paying back the notes she said she would pay back. They've robbed the people who built the home. They've robbed the banks. They've robbed everybody. They're not, they're not being, Jesus says to be friends with the unrighteous mammon. They borrowed money from the unrighteous mammon, 
that's the, the economic system of the world because it is based on, it's not based on just weights and measures it's based on you know the Corbin of the Pharisees and all these things which we explain in other places they're they're not being friends to the unrighteous mammon they're manipulating it and they think they're getting out of it they're going to end up being foolish virgins she's going to burn up her oil you know I don't know all the details I'm just going off of what you're telling me and what it appears and and if and I know that if you're incorrect, you've already apologized in your heart because <laughs> I know you're just trying to help them out. But if she doesn't have the courage to come on here and have the conversation with me with somebody who's probably studied more than she has and knows more about the kingdom, uh, that you know that isn't going to be the answer. That isn't going to be the solution. She's going to end up without oil. She's going to be knocking on the door and nobody's going to let her in. And that's my concern. Now, that really may not be true, but she, that's... I really, go ahead. I really wish she... I try to encourage her so much to come on the call, especially this call. Right. You know, and have that conversation. But she doesn't want to. Yeah, and I understand why you she know. doesn't want to, and that's up to her. You know, when I wrote The Covenants of the Gods... Which shows the 15 different ways in which people go back into bondage, which the New Testament warns us that we would go back into bondage, that we would become merchandise, we'd become surety for debt. The New Testament tells that we'd curse our children. That's all New Testament stuff. And I show you how we do it in the book Covenants of the Gods, which is free online. You don't even have to buy it. You can just download it free. It's in article form. It's in audio form. It's all over the place. But there's no solution in that book. I'm just telling you how you got to where you're at. Now, why you got to where you're at is because you walk in darkness. And the reason you walk in darkness is because you don't want to see the whole light. And the reason some people won't call in is because they might get a little bit more light than they're counting on or they're wishing for. The uh, reality is, is we have gone back into the bondage of Egypt. Most everybody has the mark of the beast already. The mark of the beast is a is a number of the beast that allows you to get benefits at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority one over the other. Those benefits are the benefits of the world. I don't tell people they can't take the benefits of the world. I tell people what the gospel is, which is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and so that you can get the benefits of the kingdom. And you're going to need more than the benefits of the kingdom that can be provided through charity. You're going to need the benefits of the kingdom that can be pro- provided through the hand of God. Which we see in Exodus when the Israelites were filling each other's water vases and helping each other out and and, and taking in their flocks so that they wouldn't be hurt by the hail and they were working together to do this and they had to go get straw to make bricks and guys had to work harder under the Egyptians to pay their tally of bricks. But they learned how to help one another. And remember how they got into bondage was that they would not hear the anguish of their neighbor. Now they have to hear it and the plagues are teaching them how to listen to it. Now they're going down the wadi to the Red Sea and before you know it, they got the Egyptians coming behind them. They make it there. 
they would have been toast. The Egyptians would have come down and destroyed them. They didn't have any defense against those armed chariots. But God intervened. God stood between them and the armies of the Pharaoh. Then he parted the sea. And then they all walked all the way across there. And then God let the Pharaoh make his own choices. And he said, army, go after them across that causeway uh, to the other side. That's a 10-mile causeway. So as they're charging out there, they get out there somewhere along the way. We know that there are chariot wheels on both sides of the Red Sea. All of a sudden, the water started coming in and cut them off. And they couldn't get back. And they couldn't swim with armor. The people didn't have to do it. That was divine intervention. We have gone so far away from the kingdom of God. And we are pretending that we're saved because we say we're saved because we say we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we're not doing what Christ said. The simple things that Christ said. And as as a matter of fact, we're doing the exact opposite of what Christ said to do. And we're doing what he said not to do. We're going to men who call themselves benefactors to the fathers of the earth, the Patronus of the conscripti patri of the earth, to get benefits at the expense of our neighbor, which by definition is a covetous practice. So I'm not telling people, I see another hand come up, I'll take that call in a minute. Uh, that is a covetous practice. It's delivered you already into the bondage of Egypt. And I don't want anybody to starve. I don't have enough coming in. I can feed thousands of people that might be on our email networks, etc. But you have to come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another. And it's going to require overtime. So anyway, I'm going to answer the other guy. <laughs> I'm going to answer that call. Can I let you go, Isabel? Still. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll let you go. Did I get everything, or did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, no, no. That's that's about the gist of it. Okay. Anyway, she can listen to this, and she can call in on another week. But anyway, I'll disconnect your mic, and I'll answer this other call. God bless. Thanks okay. for the call. Okay. Okay. Five five eight zero. You're on the air with Brother Gregory. Do you have a question? Yes, Brother Gregory. This is Steve. Steven. Oh, okay, okay, I'm starting to memorize the numbers by looking at the board, so I know who you are. Yeah, go ahead, Stephen. All right, um, it's kind of a uh, question concerning me. Um, I've been trying to, uh, I've been um, really seeking the Lord to understand unrighteous mammon and how it applies to my my life and my situation and how the Lord's, uh, you know, putting things on my heart and, um, you know, I, I just I hear so many different uh, ways that people do it. Just like the call that you had, people just keep you know they have their own, it's like their own imagination and 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 they think of stuff and then they follow it thinking that it's the right way and and I just uh you know I just want to do it the right way and I've been seeking the Lord and I'm trying not to make a big deal about it but just listen to that quiet voice and follow it and. And uh, I just, uh, I still, there's just something that I'm just not getting it. I don't know if I'm just being impatient, but I just don't want to be coveting, you know, anybody's gifts. 
Right. I mean, this is this is a struggle that doesn't go away overnight. Okay. Now, you know, I when I was a little kid, I I knew I wanted to be a shepherd. I didn't know this till somebody else asked me the question of what I wanted to be. I didn't know. I never thought about sheep. I never thought about a shepherd. I didn't know any shepherds. I didn't know any sheep. But when somebody asked me the question, long story, I'm making it short, I, I, I just turned to the side and I said, I, I think I want to be a sheepherder. <laughs> I, I could not tell you where that came from. But I didn't know what it meant either. But I listened to that voice and eventually I became a shepherd out on the desert. Long story. Uh, to this point, but so we just we just covered, you know, twenty five years, and now I'm a shepherd out here, and I'm married, have children, live in a comfortable house that we built ourselves. We didn't borrow any money. I don't know why I didn't borrow any money. I probably could have borrowed money, but I didn't feel right about it. I listened to that still small voice. I took out a credit card once. Somebody wanted to give us a credit card because we bought a house. We assumed somebody else's mortgage, but we didn't take out the mortgage. We paid that person off and we assumed their mortgage. We didn't have to go through and obtain the mortgage. But uh so we lived in that house. And as soon as they saw our names there, they sent us free credit cards. We went out and used one credit card one day. And I, I felt terrible about it. Now, I didn't have any knowledge of all this stuff. And I said, I don't want to do this ever again. And we, my wife and I, we cut up all the credit cards right then. We, and she was in agreement with it. But we're still, we don't have any knowledge of why there's something wrong with credit cards. Everybody tells us it's a good thing. Well, we didn't think it was a good thing, but we didn't know why it wasn't a good thing. But we followed that. And it, it leads us down, you know, we, we actually, you know, I have gotten in my car, not knowing where I'm going. And just followed the Holy Spirit at every intersection. And and I've been in, lost in the North Woods. Didn't know which way to go to find our way back to civilization. And and we only had a limited time to do it. I was with one other person. They didn't have a clue. And uh, I literally just stood there, got still. You know, I've been meditating since I was nine years old. Same meditation we teach Basically, the same meditation we teach at, on our page. And I just got in that meditative state where I'm not, I'm not supplying the answers. I'm just waiting on the Lord. And I turn in a circle and say, which way should I go? I ask the question in my heart. And it says, go this way. And I followed that way. It, it didn't say, it just felt, felt like my compass said, I could go this way. I could do this. And, and I would go that way. And then I'd come to a barricade and I'd say, okay, which way now? I'd turn around and go this way. Go this. I mean, it took us hours to get lost <laughs> most of the day. This is late in the afternoon. To find our way out. We not only found our way out, when I finally saw anything that looked like civilization, I was a hundred feet from my car that I had parked on the side of a dirt road way off in the wilderness. We went straight to the car. But I didn't know I was going to go. I didn't know if I... I had to forget about fear. I had to forget about anxiety. I had to forget about doubt. All the same thing. I had to forget about ambition. 
I I think it was actually to my advantage. I had somebody with me who was not going to do well staying out in the woods overnight. I could probably handle it. So I was actually asking this question, not how can I get out, but how can we get out? And I'm thinking of that other person. And and that helped me help God because that's really important. If you want to, if you, this is what I said this morning, I think, and maybe I even said it in the afternoon show. If you want to figure out how you can get out of the system and be free, that's going to screw you up. That's going to mess up your communication line with the Holy Spirit. You want to find out how you can serve God. You want to find out how you can help others. Even if you have to stay in, you want to get others out. You want to get others saved. You don't want to save yourself. Christ didn't get crucified to save himself. So, it, but, you know, I'm saying these words here, but when you're looking for the answer for you in a given day, in a given moment, you have to be able to go to that meditative state where you're waiting upon the Lord and listen. And it's not always easy to do. Sometimes the Spirit departeth. You know, Lord, Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? Then you, when in doubt, don't. Just go do the work in front of you until God shows you where else you should be. But asking that question, you know, finally when I was on the desert and had the family, all this stuff, which is I was getting to, I, and I've told this story before, I know everybody has to be patient <laughs> with me and my stories. Checking on the sheep one night. Coming back, I felt this frustration, this anxiety, like I'm missing something. I don't know something I need to know. I haven't put something together I need to put together. This, So what is it? I don't know. Well, I could have gone all the way back to the house, frustrated and anxious and all this stuff. I just stopped. I, didn't, I, I wasn't going to take another step. And I just knelt down out on the desert. Out there in the middle of nowhere, I can show you the exact spot. <laughs> we'll erect a shrine there later. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but I, it's, it's that surrender. I don't know. That was my prayer. I don't know. That's an important prayer. That is one of the best prayer. You, uh, you have to show me because I don't know. And like I say, the next day, out on my doorstep, stack of law books. And you can see where that's gotten me. <laughs> so, but the kingdom is really simple. But in order for you to love your neighbor as yourself, you need to know yourself. And I know you've made lots of changes in your life. And, and now, you, you, you know, the environment of a family is one of the best places to get to know yourself. Uh, whatever woman God has presented you with, that woman is designed to make you aware of your weaknesses. And your children are designed to make you aware of your impatience. But you have to be patient with God and you have to wait upon God. So one of the things I would encourage is learn the meditation and then just keep trying to get better at knowing what God wants you to do this moment, this day, you know, should I go left? Should I go right? Should I should I go out and do this job, do that job? And it's a constant struggle. 
It's a constant struggle because Christ said that we would have to strive and persevere. That sounds like a struggle. But it will make you stronger the more you surrender to God. So I don't know. Does that help? Yeah, it it does. Uh, I I think it's a lot of fear, you know, because of my experiences and other people, uh, you know, they say things and and talk about, you know, how I live or what I'm doing. And I mean, it's nothing bad, but, you, you know, I, it's just that I let all those things cloud my mind. And, and then when I, when I pray and meditate on the Lord, I get the answer pretty clear. And I try to follow exactly what, you know, the Holy Ghost is saying. And it seems like everything turns out right, but it's not the right that the world likes. <laughs> and see, uh, it worked out that one. That kind of right. Yeah, yeah. The it, it's a struggle, and you know now, you know my little children. You know, people used to call me up. You're not sending your kids to school. You know, you're damaging your kids. You're injuring your kids, and you know, like, uh, and they were making all these complaints and everything. Oh, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and all this stuff. We got all that, and then eventually, my some of my own family was starting to uh, see some of this stuff about the contractual nature of government and how we're, we are getting back in Egypt and how we are raising up tyrants. And a lot of people don't want to see it. And, and if you just read the covenants of God, that's not enough. Because, like I said, there's no answer in there. But I had to write that book first. So that you could, But if people don't want to admit that they're back in the bondage of Egypt, then there's not much I could do for him. So, okay, you admit you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You don't want to be in the bondage of Egypt. And then you say, what do I do? Where do I go? Uh, and now that I'm sure that if you look back in your life, earlier in your life, there were times when you were listening to the Holy Spirit. I, I know you were a nurse, I think, at one time, an ER nurse or something. Yeah. You went into that because of something that was calling to you. And this can be multi-generation. My dad, when I asked him why he became a lawyer, he said, well, he got in the wrong line at college. And, uh, you know, and I thought, like, what do you, what do you mean? You know, that he's telling me I was like eight at, at the time. And uh, so I didn't know what he meant by that. But uh, when I asked him later on why he didn't go into politics, because we knew people like the Bushes and Hubert Humphrey and all that stuff when we lived down in Texas. And uh, he says, I'm dishonest enough to be a lawyer, but not dishonest enough to be a politician. Well, I was about nine when he told me that. I didn't understand what that meant, but I remember it. <laughs> so, but if he hadn't studied the law and become a lawyer... I wouldn't have seen him make choices in his life to leave the law because they were moral choices. He wouldn't be a part of some of the corruption that was going on in Texas. I wouldn't have had those those law books that showed up on my doorstep showed up because he brought them over, almost in a stupor. He brought them over and set them there and said, I thought you would want these. And I thought, like, why? whatever would give you the idea that I wanted those books? Because I had no interest in the law, no interest in studying the law, no interest in doing this. I hadn't started writing yet. I just got off my knees the night before 
asking God, what don't I know? Well, evidently it was in those law books. <laughs> and then when I took the sheep out on the desert, wandering around with a handful of sheep, and uh, in between doing other jobs, occasionally my kids would take them out and I would go and work and earn the money. I mean, we were getting by on poverty wages most of the time, but we were happy growing up. But when I would go out on the desert, I would take a copy of the Bible and I would start reading it and connect, making that connection between the law and the Bible. And of course, the Bible's mostly about law. It, it, it mentions religion four times, law 700 times. So you tell me, what's it about? It's about law and our relationship with the law of men and the law of God. And so all those things were coming together because my dad got in the wrong line at college. <laughs> he didn't get in the wrong line. That was the path that God put him on so that he would be a part of my path. God is 2,500 chess moves ahead of us. I don't know what he's got in store for you next. He may not tell you what he's got in store for you next. The kingdom of God, one thing I know, the kingdom of God is in the moment. It's in the moment. It's not in the future. It's not in the past. It's in the moment. So, you being in the moment is very important. The world making you afraid, making you doubt, making you feel guilty when there is no guilt. That's all taking you out of the moment. It's all leading you astray. You don't want to go that way. So, yeah, uh, I encourage everybody to study our meditation page because it's, it's a handy tool. But ultimately, yeah, you have to make that Life is a journey. Uh, but you're in the network. Uh, you're, you're a part of a congregation now? Yeah. Okay. You stay connected. Learn to care about people no matter how far away they are. <laughs> we care about those people around about you. I mean, we've been caring for a lot of the elderly around about us. We had one that the family has now taken in and pretty soon, you know, I, they, they lost their water supply and so, Yesterday I was, I pulled a hundred foot pump and put a new pump on it and put it back down in the well <laughs> just to help my neighbor. And, uh, but it's because that's what God put before me that day. I could have been working on Ecclesiastes 7. I did do some work on that, but, uh, cause I knew 6 was short, we'd probably get to it, but I had this other letter I wrote because of this lady's on the ministers, uh, on the ladies call that, uh, I was getting feedback from because they're, they're talking to other people that talk to me. And I wrote it because of them. And this, this program is also chock full of that. So I'm going to try, unless you have another question or something else you want to bring up, I'm going to go back and see if I no, can get, okay. No, I don't, I don't have any more questions right now. Okay. Well, I, th I thank you for the call. Good to hear your voice. I'm going to start memorizing that number so I know whose hand is raised up. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for the call, Stephen. God bless. So anyway, we'll go back to that page that I was working on. The benefactors of the world, Jesus tells us, we're not to be like those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. 
And he specifically says it about the governments of the world. And the governments of the world, are the word world there is constitutional orders and systems of governments. One of four or five different Greek words that can be translated into world, but it means constitutional orders. Most people who think they're Christians today go to men who exercise authority to take benefits from the world. Now, if you stop taking those benefits, you're not in the kingdom. You just stop taking those benefits. That's all. What you should be doing is seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. You should be sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and creating a network of charity so that nobody has to take those benefits. And you have to work at that. And God is judged, not me. I'm not going to tell you not to take the benefits. I'm telling you what the benefits... The benefits bring you into bondage. We show this over and over again in books and articles and the law. We show you the actual law that it brings you back to the bondage of Egypt. You've already taken them. Your parents sold you. It's the welfare that is a snare and a trap. And it is the tables of idolatry. In which I go into farther down here. I go on to say, we hear of the church, meaning His Holy Church. It's not a corporate entity. His Holy Church belongs to Christ. I didn't incorporate it. It's not incorporated to the state. I didn't create it. Christ created it. I'm just trying to conform to what Christ said. So, we hear of the church created these email groups so people could form the network that we see the early church forming before and during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Very specific statement. Early church there. I have the link to the article on early church so you can see what the early church was doing. The early church wasn't going around saying that we're in the kingdom because we think we're in the kingdom. They were going around. Even Christ didn't come and say that I'm the king because I think I'm the king. He says, what do you see me doing? What? What do you see me doing? It's what you see me doing that is professing that. Even the rocks would cry out. And of course, eventually the rocks did cry out that Christ was king. Even even Rome, Pontius Pilate said, Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is king. You don't come as your own witness. There's nowhere that it's by two or more other witnesses that you establish who you are. And, of course, if you're in the kingdom, Christ may say so, but the fact that you say so tells me nothing. You could be a liar. So, I don't know. That's not that's not what the Bible shows us. That doesn't fit. Now, you can do it, but don't expect me to believe you. Uh, ultimately, what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow that Holy Spirit, that leading of the Holy Spirit in my heart and my mind. And if you come and you knock on the door and say, hey, we need help in, we need, we're out of food and, and nobody wants to take us in anymore and we don't have a house and they evicted us and, and there's Chinese troops in our streets and uh, Russian troops in our streets and we want help and we want you to give us shelter. I'm not going to go off of what you told me in the past. I'm going to go off of what my heart is telling me in the moment. 
I, that's I'm a, I'm going to keep following the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to say, well, did they do this? Did they do that? Did they do this? Did they do that? I'm not. I don't have a checklist like that. I I write about a checklist. You can go and look for a Christian checklist. I may put that link on the page too. But that checklist is for you. If you're not meeting that checklist, you may have need of repentance. I'm not telling you what to do. That if you follow this checklist, then you're going to be in the kingdom. No, 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 no. doesn't work that way. Only one who can let you in the kingdom is Christ. Through his Holy Spirit, who is the comforter. I'm not it. So that's important to remember. Now, some of you, we're getting into kind of deep stuff here. and Some of you aren't going to get it. And especially people who haven't listened to much else are not going to get it. But maybe they will get it enough to go and look for the rest. But ultimately, it's your walk in light that we want to see. We want you to come out of the darkness and walk in the light. I'm just showing you that there's a lot of things out there pretending to be the light, and they're not. There's a lot of people out there pretending to preach the gospel of Christ, and they are not. And if you look down the checklist and you say, oh my gosh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, I'm, I have need of repentance. Now, I don't want you starving to death out there. Now, I'm on a four-day fast. It may become a five-day fast. We'll see how far it goes. I just, I haven't eaten anything for several days. And I just chose to do it all of a sudden. Because the Spirit led me to do it. I feel fine. Uh, but, so, is it going to be a 40-day fast? I doubt it. <laughs> Uh, but whatever God leads me to do, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I want you to do. Is what God's leading you to do. But you got to shut off your imagination. You got to shut off your dreams. You got to listen to what God really is saying. And I put out that checklist because a lot of people think that they're following God and they're not, and they're headed to dust. They're headed for trouble. So, pay attention. Don't pay attention. I'm. I'm just. I've just got my little sheep rod and I hold it out I, when I was moving those cows today. I, people wanted all their sorting sticks away out on the desert so I didn't have any here. So I just pulling sticks out of the barrel, handles of shovels and everything. And so I ended up with two leftover sticks that gave the other things out to everybody else. And I just walked behind the cows and suddenly they saw this four-legged guy coming out. <laughs> And they just, I just said, go here. And I'd point out the stick and go here and go point out the stick. That's my rod. That's what I'm doing with you. I'm saying, you know, join in a congregation of ten. Connect with a hundred. Connect with a thousand. Learn to care about one another. Learn to be still and know. Learn to meditate. That's what meditation is, being still. Waiting upon the Lord. That's just my stick out there saying do these things. I'm not making you do them. I'm not going to beat you. But I'm warning you, you could end up being a foolish virgin knocking on the door and nobody's going to let you in. Don't be vain. Because vanity of vanities, all is vanities. Zero times zero times zero is still zero. And doing good isn't going to get you into the kingdom either. But if you find it difficult to do good, you're probably nowhere near the kingdom. If you find it difficult to sacrifice, 
You know, I've had so many people say, oh yeah, I've done this, and I've got people out of their mortgage, and they've, I've never paid taxes, and, and he was selling these kits for a hundred dollars, thousand dollars, at one time they were ten thousand, the price went down after a bit. I found out where he lived. I found out what trailer he, he lived in a trailer, and part of the trailer had a dirt floor, I think, or part of the, I can't remember now, it's been forty years. I've been at this a long time, folks. And but he was selling these land patent packages. So I found out where he lived and and I knew people that were getting on the call. They didn't pay him six hundred dollars and they could call him on on these special calls. Anytime, forever. Because you paid the six hundred dollars, you got it forever, you can call him anytime. Nobody has to pay to call me. And you can see I know something about what I'm talking about. But I I want you I don't want you in trouble. But anyway, we tracked him down. Yeah, he, he has not paid taxes on that property in years and years and years. His mother goes in and pays the taxes. Because we got a hold of the tax recorder. We know where the property was. He's lying through his teeth. It's the truth though. It's the lie of the serpent. Because he doesn't. He hasn't paid the taxes. His mother's paying the taxes. <laughs> so he could say that, honestly. I mean, that's serpent stuff. You know, surely you will not die. <laughs> You'll be like God. Just file this land patent. And we exposed him. And we wrote an article about him and exposed him. Oh, man, they wanted to kill us. And there was other guys that were in with him that were doing it to other people later on and we exposed them too. But now, I'm not saying there's nothing to land patents. I'm saying there's a lot of shysters out there. And they don't even think they are. They think they're safe. They think that one guy said to me one time, we're freeing one, uh, I think he actually said Egyptian. At a time, but I think he may have said Israelites. That would make more sense, but in my head it's playing Egyptians. From Egypt, one Egyptian at a time. But it should be one Israelite at a time. He lost everything. And many of the people that followed him lost everything, lost all their savings. But that isn't the way that Moses did it. He didn't free one Israelite at a time. That's what I used to say. He didn't take an Israelite to the edge of the desert and say, okay, you're free, you're out of Egypt, run for it. When you get to the Red Sea, make sure you can swim at least 10 miles. <laughs> he didn't do that. He brought the people together. And he taught them how to care about one another. And they became a whole nation of people. They cared about one another. And God intervened for them. This is what I'm telling you you have to do if you're seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that's what it says in Ecclesiastes. Because the name of the guy in Ecclesiastes, which we, we talked about the name, and there's a number of... Uh, and I was reading John Walton who, who wrote a lot about this. And he has a few things. But the the name, literally translated, the name that they have of the guy who wrote Ecclesiastes is convener or assembler. 
in the NAV, they translate it teacher. And uh, in the King James, they translate it preacher. But it really means the assembler. So that's maybe why God led me, you know, somebody asked me, why are you going to Ecclesiastes? Just all of a sudden I heard the word and I said, that's what I should be doing. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. But there's a place in there. Some people will tell you, well, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. That, that's the, the author of this. But the son of David is, Jesus was the son of David. You know, descendant of David. The highest son of David. There were lots of sons of David. There's, there, there's probably millions of sons of David out there. Because he had lots of kids and there. Well, he didn't have lots of kids, but there were other kids. And that, that you know, all the way down. It doesn't take very long, many generations, and you got lots and lots of kids. So, the... It says, uh, the book ends by giving some biographical facts about Koheletith and a summary of his message. And we'll get to that when we get to that. Right now we've been in six, but we're going to do the other. And I don't see any more hands coming up, so we'll get into the other and we'll get finished to this. So, they formed this voluntary society based on righteousness and love of and for one another through a network of fervent charity. And if you don't know that the altars of clay and stone were simply the construction of that network. They weren't piles of rocks with burning up sheep on them. Abraham and Moses did the same thing and the reality is that came down. The Essenes at the time of Christ knew that. They didn't do the animal sacrifices that the Pharisees were doing, but they said that people needed to live by faith, hope, and charity and they also, many of the scenes would not sign up for the Corbin of the Pharisees. So they were idiotists. They were not registered. They did not have the mark of that beast. They also did not have the mark of the beast of the Romans. Because the Romans had a similar system. And... Uh, Josephus even writes about the Essenes how they were so highly respected amongst the Romans because they did take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They would not take the free bread of Rome. Many of the Sadducees and Pharisees did take free bread from Rome. Just as many of the people in the not-so-early church, in the church of 300 A.D., took gifts, gratuities, and benefits from Constantine, to fill their coffers and then hand out charity to the needy of their society. But that wasn't the real church. That was the fake church. Because they were taking benefits from Constantine, who was a benefactor who exercised authority. The church should never take those benefits. The church can't take those benefits. Now, you people out there, you could take those benefits rather than starve. I haven't eaten in five days. I'm not starving. But I'm fasting so that I will know more about what to tell you. Because some spirits are not cast out except with fasting and prayer. (laughs) So fasting is good. You be careful. I know somebody who tried to do a 40-day fast ended up in a wheelchair. Don't do it willfully. Do it according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. If they had done this self-organizing, oh, let's go back the, the line before that. They did this so that they could form a social safety net. There's a link there. 
that could preserve society as a whole, not just themselves, not just themselves, I repeat that, not just themselves, three times I repeated that, and so that no one would have to eat of the tables of idolatry, the free bread of Rome, the free bread of Pharaoh, the free bread of of uh, Sumer, and the turtle goddess, which have always been a snare and a trap, which is the woman that we're going to see when we get into Ecclesiastes 7. Because she has the spirit of the trap. So you can go, there's a link there that you can go to social safety net. And they had not done this self-organizing of themselves. Their, if they had not done that, their families and communities, then they would have been a scattered flock. And Paul and others of the church would not have been able to efficiently bring aid to the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and all the places they brought it. Who they were bringing this aid to the followers of Christ who were seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, enough so that they sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands during the dearth that swept across the world during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Now, if you look out your window, or you look on the internet, or you look in wherever, and you see that the world around you is declining, <laughs> and, and your governments are corrupt, and your money may money become worthless, I mean really worthless, overnight, you may want to slip into the kingdom. <laughs> start, start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And if you don't want to take care of one another, faith, hope, and charity, then I will have to assume that you don't hear the cries of your neighbor. Now, most of the people on our network are pretty self-sufficient. But if somebody becomes not self-sufficient, then what are you going to do? Who are you going to go to? Who are you going to call? Fortunately, the followers of Christ formed that network of fervent charity according to his command to the true ministers of Christ who not only required the repentant people to organize in that ancient pattern, but also came into one accord according to the instructions of Christ. Now, I didn't put a link there on the instructions of Christ. Ministers of Christ have to fit and fulfill, ordained ministers of Christ have to fulfill particular criteria that Christ listed off. And I've known a lot of really good men who think they're ministers of Christ. And when I pointed out, the ice cubes in their teeth shook. (laughs) Their knees shook. Their hearts shook. It's not easy to be a minister of Christ. But the key thing is that you have to be willing to see the light about yourself. And that's where, that's where fasting and prayer comes in. Prayer by itself is not enough. Fasting and prayer. Lots of things you can fast from. I've been fasting for food. And no, no, I haven't eaten any hard food for now for days. That's fine. I've, I've done a lot longer. 
It's not a problem. The first day, sometimes it's a little antsy. <laughs> late last night, because I had to stay late and work up because the because I went and helped somebody get water back on at their house. But uh, so a little bit, it was starting to get the munchies pretty late and I just decided well I'm going to bed it's almost midnight so I went to bed a little early but those instructions of Christ they're they're not casual instructions for the ordained ministers of the church they are real now, a lot of people now that home church didn't that uh, I, I mentioned the seven men chosen that we see in Acts who were scattered throughout the empire these weren't Seven guys in a local area that were going to wait on tables and serve matzah or pancakes or something to the poor. These men had a very important function because they're, they're in Jerusalem and there's people way over in Corinth or, or Galatia or, you know, the Greeks, which, you know, Corinth and, well, all of Corinth weren't Greeks, but it was in Greece because the whole population of Corinth had changed over. Uh, about 40 years before Christ. And a lot of them are probably not Greeks, but Romans. But it says the Christians who were in Greece were being neglected. And so they needed to appoint seven men to do this. That, because the apostles said it wasn't right that we wait on tables. But those of you who have been listening know that those tables aren't tables. Those tables are banks. It's not right that the church get into banking. We shouldn't get into banking for the ordained ministers. But we can appoint men to create a credit union. Now, that credit union doesn't have to do with all these other, you know. They literally, if you formed a credit union now, you could do what that lady that we were talking about earlier was thinking she was doing and is not really doing. If I'm correct on what she's doing, I'm not getting it firsthand, so I could be wrong about that. But if you're trying to get out of your mortgage payment by saying that there was no actual loan and these are all fiat currencies and we don't want to do anything with fiat currency, fiat currency is just notes. And it may be fiat to you, but it may not be fiat to somebody else. He, he, He can use it. Just like that example I gave of the note. I can give you a note that says that I owe you one sheep. Because you don't want it right today. You want it, in, it later on in the fall. And so I can give you a note. Well, I, I'll give you one sheep. And I write it down because I can forget. And I, I could die. And then you could come back in the fall and say, Well, Brother Gregory said I could have a sheep in the fall. Here's a note that says so. Is this a fiat note or can I really get a sheep? You can really get a sheep. And they will honor that note. I don't do that, but I could do that, and that would be a note. Just like I said, Federal Reserve notes in nineteen on June sixth of nineteen thirty-three, Federal Reserve notes were fiat to U.S. citizens only. They weren't fiat to other citizens, just to U.S. citizens. <laughs> and then later on, with public law. 95-147, I think it was. I forgot the number right. I didn't screw it up this time, did I? Uh, then it became fiat to everybody else. It took a while. It didn't happen right on that date. But it took a while. And it, and actually, the date I'm talking about is repealing HGR 192. It, but it was a, 
it needed to be repealed in order to go back. That's when you should have come out of the system. Uh, but nobody was doing it. But that's okay. God's God can turn it around. I mean, the Israelites should have not taken 400 years to get out of Egypt, <laughs> but they did. So, I think things are going to have to get worse before people repent and start doing it right. But right now, and I'm not going to finish this statement, but right now, ministers of Christ have, if you read the whole free church report, including all the free uh, the footnotes and and listen to the Holy Spirit, you will know that ordained ministers of the church can get out of the system right now and form that other system so that you can come with us down to the shores of the Red Sea <laughs> and put God between you and the armies of the world that are going to come down on you with everything they got. But so I'm being a little cryptic here, but uh, anyway, those seven men had a purpose and a function. We could have that today. They could form a credit union, which is what they were doing. But that credit union can do something a bank can't do. It can do all the things a bank can do, but it doesn't have to do them. But it can do some things that a bank can't do. We can forgive loans. Credit unions can forgive loans. Isn't that amazing? So you could say, if you had a loan with a bank for your house, you could move it over to our credit union. If you have no prepayment penalties, even if you did, you could still do it. You just have to make the prepayment penalties. And we will see to it that you don't get evicted. And But we're not going to sell your paper note to somebody else so that we can borrow against that note so that we can go into fractional reserve banking because that's not the way of Christ. Got lots of leeway here. There's a lot of things you could do that some people haven't even imagined that they could do. Now, we know full well that the unrighteous mammon will fail. Just as, you know, when they built the Titanic, I knew it would sink someday. Uh, It's going to sink. Someday. That's just going to happen. But I want to make sure that nobody sinks with it. I want to make sure everybody gets in the lifeboat. So we may have to build lifeboats, but which way are we going to row if we get you in a lifeboat? We're going to mow, we're not going to row to the iceberg. We're going to row to the rock, which is Christ. That's where we're going to take you. And when we use a boat to do it, we will use a fiction of law to do it. But we will not put our faith in the fiction of law. I mean, the people that were coming down that wadi with the, you know, from Egypt to the Red Sea, they were taking with them the carts and the gold. The gold wasn't going to save them. The carts wasn't even going to save them. But they used the carts to get across that sandbar. You couldn't go across that gulf anywhere else but there. Because there was that sandbar there. And something happened that dry land appeared. And they were able to make... That That was the miracle. And that's what you're going to need. There's other miracles being prepared for you right now. I just talked to Stephen. Talked to him about 
My dad said he became a lawyer because he got in the wrong line at college. No, he didn't. He became a lawyer so that he could train up his son to be a man of the law. But not a lawyer. <laughs> not an attorney. But I, I'm, I'm a lawyer for Christ. This idea... So anyway, the, the followers of Christ were not just nice... Doing just nice things locally for their community, nor local congregations. And a point by those... Did I just I just jumped off my line. Paul came across followers of John the Baptist in Acts 19 who did not know Jesus. Didn't know what Jesus did. Didn't know... See, Paul was a lawyer. He understood the legality of what it means to be friends with the unrighteous mammon. He understood the legality of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He, he understood how the system works and how to get out of the system. But God got him out of the system because he was the idiotus. He was Romeos. Romeos means whole. He, he didn't, he didn't have a fictional name. He was whole. Romeos. From birth. Because God arranged it. Because his father was given that position of Romeos. Because he was from a particular place at a particular time. His father was rich tent maker. God arranged that. God was arranging Paul to be Paul, to be the repentant Paul, when Paul was going to the Pharisees to learn the false information that they were giving out as the truth. But he had, he had to go through that process. But that was for Paul. All of us doesn't have to get knocked off our high horse. All of us have to be humble. All of us have to kneel down on the, our own deserts and say, you can't figure it out. Stop thinking you got it figured out. Because that isn't, Dathan thought he had it figured out. You don't have it figured out. I don't have it figured out. I've, I've been, I share with you what God has shown me. But exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to unfold, I don't know. But I, I, I'm beginning to recognize what I call Kodak moments. Things where people show me stuff and 20 years later, that information fits into the puzzle. It's happening in your lives too. But you think you got it all figured out yet and you're going around judging people and gossiping and backbiting. You're not in the kingdom. You need to be, you know, I haven't mentioned any names about anybody, but I, I'm using their them as an example. Just like I, all the gurus that I write about, I'm not condemning them. I just say where they're at in their struggle now, they still got more to learn. I still got more to learn. So, in Acts 19, they get appointed to take care. And, and like I said, these guys are spread out all over. They're all rich guys. They're probably all idiotas. It appears that several of them were idiotas, unregistered. But they were forming the bank of the kingdom. It wasn't a depository 
because we weren't supposed to have a treasury depository where thieves and robbers can break in. But it was a network of finances that allowed, if there was a dearth in Galatia, the church could, with donations, could tap into resources where they bought food where there was grain, maybe in Egypt, maybe out of Macedonia, somewhere else, or uh, somewhere, and they could ship it to Galatia. Now, if you understood really the law and the history, I'll give you another little tidbit most people don't know. You're shipping, like if you're going to go through Corinth, and you're shipping grain through Corinth, it's going to get taxed. They're going to put a heavy tax burden on the grain you ship through Corinth. There's also going to be a shipping fee because you're going to have to take it by donkeys across the isthmus and reload it on new ships. And you, that's the great t- place to tax it. And they will tax you. Unless, unless you're the church established by Christ. Because the church established by Christ was exempt in those early dearths where Paul was going. They didn't owe the tax. And I tell you, where Augustus Caesar had made that law before he died. That if you were part of the kingdom of the Jews, which Pontius Pilate said Jesus was the king of the Jews, and we know Paul is one of his ministers and Stephen is one of his ministers, they can go through those border checkpoints and they're not taxed. They're not going to take any of the grain out of your transport. They can't do it by the command of Caesar. God arranged that. There are so many things you don't know. And you can't figure. But you need to be moving from the Holy Spirit and not from the tree of your own knowledge. That's a dream. Don't do it. Please, don't do it. And they were baptized so that they could become, referring to these these, uh, guys that that were following John the Baptist, They were baptized so that they could become a part of that charitable network that we see Paul and the other apostles moving funds around, moving food around, all over. Now, there wasn't a lot of fiat currency in those days, but you don't think that there were bills of lighting and notes that you could bring a note you know, on his way to Corinth, he could stop off at some place and say, well, I have this, that so-and-so, one of the seven, says he will cover your expenses if you move this shipment of grain to Corinth. It's done all the time. It's done by notes. There, somebody's going to really pay, but they trust that other. Muslims do this every day. All over the world. They don't have to ship the gold across to Australia to buy grain or sheep in Australia. They do it with notes because somebody else is going to work. Unfortunately, they've expanded that into fractional reserve banking. We can still have notes without fractional reserve banking. The notes are based on trusting. This man trusts this man, this man trusts this man. 
Now somebody says, they know Claude. I know Claude. I, I talk to Claude every week. I'll ask Claude if he knows you. But it's very clear in the biblical text, if you're not a participator, if you're a non-contributor to the kingdom of God, if you're not a part of that tens, hundreds, and thousands, you you don't take precedent over the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The tens, hundreds, and thousands take precedent. Now, we may take care of people that are not in the network. We do it all the time now. Anyway. But it's very clear that Christ had people knocking on the door who thought they were a part of the kingdom and he wasn't going to let them in. Warned. Not going to let them in. Casting people out that did not invest in their fellow man. Yeah, I just buried it. I, I didn't want to lose it. So you didn't invest it in others. You're better off if you put it in the exchequer. No, we're supposed to be investing in one another's through the clay altars of stone that are unhewn, which is describing the ministers of God. And you need to police them to make sure that they're doing a good job in those altars of clay and stone. What's the clay? Well, you go read those articles because we want to get through this because my voice is going. But to me merely, okay, uh, I, I skipped a line. It is true that we individually seek salvation in Christ. That's true. But to merely preach having a local congregation is not preaching the kingdom of God. To help those immediately around you is not seeking the full righteousness of God who sacrificed his son so that the whole world might be saved. This is why you gather. You don't gather just to love those that love you. To just Help those near and dear to you is not what the early church did. There is no corporate His Holy Church except in the love of Christ. But you only love Christ if you love the light and keep His commandments. And one of those commandments was to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you would have the means by which to love one another. Not just love those who love you. So 1 Corinthians 12:13 For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles whether we be bond or free bond or free bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit for the body is not one member but many. So the social bonds of the kingdom were not created by isolated home church groups who put off creating a kingdom network of fervent charity. We have a link there. Social bonds. In case you're new, because I see other people calling in. Why the network? At preparingyou.com, go to preparingyou.com in the search engine, type in why the network, capitalized network, and you'll see the article we're on and it will take you to all these other social bonds. What destroys the social bonds of a free society is legal charity. We've had legal charity in public schools in this country for a 100 years and more. 
and it is degenerating us, as it says in the Bible, as it says in the philosophers. It's degenerating and dividing the people so that they could be conquered. Now, right now, they're conquered by their own greed and their own ambition, their own delusions. But the reality is they're back in the bondage of Egypt where more than 20% of their labor belongs to the government. That is taken away by the government. We are not creating a system, but hopefully conforming to the way of Christ. Another link, the way. Which does not include the way of idolatry, which is the covetous practice of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Through men who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors, but are servants of iniquity and, and a snare and a trap. The network of fervent charity seen in Acts of the Apostles was and will be essential in God's plan and in the way of Christ during the decline and fall of the New World Order. Matthew 5.46 For if we, if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? No, you have to love people you don't even know. This is why there was the first fruits. The first fruits were given right away to jumpstart these altars of charity that Moses was setting up, that Abraham had already set up. That's what you need to be doing. Now, you don't have to... I don't make you do it. I'm just saying how the kingdom works. Because... God's not going to hear you if you don't hear others. If you don't sacrifice, you don't lay down a portion of your life for others. If you're coming in the name of Christ, you're going to be sacrificing. Now, you're all sacrificing anyway, or at least most of you are sacrificing anyway. But is it what Ecclesiastes calls the sacrifice of fools? What Jesus calls the Corban of the Pharisees. Because Corban means sacrifice. So it's the sacrifice of the Pharisees is the sacrifice of fools. Because everybody's pursuing the rewards of unrighteousness. Another link. Through the sacrifice of fools. That seems to us to be what Christ preached and commanded. Joining these listed email groups at our network links at Preparing You. You'll see them there if you're on the page at PreparingYou.com. Join those email groups is joining with us in the journey. It's not. Some people think it is. It's not. It's just the email group. The living network is those tens, hundreds, and thousands. It is only an opportunity to gather together in a real living network of fervent charity to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which the churches have not been telling you to do for years now. Decades and decades. Luke 6.32 For if ye love them which love you... What thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. So it can't be just a local congregation. No one has to join the network, but these groups are not sufficient for the purposes of Christ. The email groups. They are only an opportunity to seek the way of righteousness. So 1 Corinthians one twelve. Now this I say... That every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You're baptized in the name of Christ. In the character of Christ. Galatia, Corinth, Ephesus, many other places where Christians sought their salvation with fear and trembling through faith, hope, and charity were also casting their bread upon the waters in fervent charity. Galatia was giving to Corinth. Corinth was way wealthier than Galatia. And Paul even calls out Corinth because he didn't think they were giving enough. You could do better. Galatia does better than you with less. Because this was essential because your alternative was to go to the men who called themselves benefactors but exercised the third. It was to go to get the free bread of Rome. The free bread of Caesar. The free bread of FDR. The free bread of LBJ. The free bread of Obama. The free bread of Trump. You don't want that. You want to go the other way. Repenting is turning around and going the other way. We need to repent and put on the full armor of God and not follow the foolishness of Saul by forcing the offerings of our neighbors so that we can have more free stuff. That runs towards death. But also, do not be one of those foolish virgins who think, I'm not a part of that system. I'm curious. I'm curious about what that person is actually doing. But I'm not going to depend on self-testimony alone. I need two witnesses that know what they're actually doing. And I will take them on this afternoon call and we'll have those discussions. So I see quite a few people in there. Nobody with their hands up. Uh, so anybody on the... You can call in and listen to this program between the hours of 2 and sometimes as late as 6. Probably not going to make it to 6. And uh, use the number 319-527-6208. And we will try to answer your calls. We usually take the calls in the second half of the show, which is from... Three to six, that's two hours. We should be able to answer most of your calls by then. Um, but if our numbers start increasing, it may become quite a burden. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the, uh, but this is where you want it. Don't call me at home. Oh, I see somebody's in the chat room. Uh, I don't know who he is, but I've seen that picture before. That's a strange picture. Kind of spooky. But anyway, uh, thumbs up to you. Because that's what he gives. He doesn't say anything. He just says thumbs up. So anyway, well, hopefully we'll turn this into a place of communication. Because people a lot of times want to call me during the day. And I will take calls. Uh, but I can't get any work done. If I'm on the phone hour after hour after hour. So we can make these calls completely productive. Uh, and, and it will make me better if we get on big stations and interviewed. You can ask me questions and that will make me better at answering. And the better at answering, the more I can get the word out about the kingdom. Uh, the question that the one guy asked uh, that was on Facebook was, what, what size is your church? Well, my church is 8,000 miles around. <laughs> Oh, he means numbers of people, I think, not the actual physical size. Yeah, because my church is uh, the whole world. But uh, 
because my church is the church established by Jesus Christ and everything belongs to him. But now how many people are gathering with us? Well, at least ten. And then those ten will gather with others and hopefully we'll someday get to the point where we're actually doing the kingdom for earnest, for real, and not just in our imaginations. Next week on uh, Freedomizer, we'll uh, we'll start with seven. And uh, we'll get eventually down to the summary of the gatherer. And hopefully by then, people will start to gather in the name of Christ, caring about one another as much as they care about themselves. So with that, I will say... Peace on your house, and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.